This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. Thanks for being with us. This show is, in my view, upfront, up close, and uplifting. So let's get right to it. Lloyd Robertson said as he was stepping down from his brilliant television career as national nightly news anchor, the longest serving in North America, quote, it was a rare privilege to have a front row seat to history, end quote. He delivered sometimes difficult, sometimes heartbreaking, and thankfully encouraging news with authority, wisdom, respect, fairness, and understanding. Now, I try never to make any interview about me, but I have to tell you, I learned how to be a calm, caring, and dedicated news anchor by watching my broadcast hero, Lloyd Robertson, every night for more than 40 years. Lloyd Robertson joins us in conversation right now, and thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you so much, Anne, for that overwhelming introduction. And I have to say that I'm so glad to see that you've done so well, and you're still doing it, the long and varied career in television and radio. Well, I thank you, my mentor. So I have to ask you this. What is it like for you today being on the audience side of the desk now? Well, it took a couple of years for me to get off the treadmill because, you know, I'd been on it for a long time, 41 years of national newscasts at 11 o'clock at night. So for a couple of years, I kept saying to myself, oh, I'd like to be there for that story or that big story. But after that, after a while, I began to view things as spectator. And uh, I'm quite fine with that. It uh, puts you into another year, uh, puts you into a different uh, frame of mind. And uh, I'm enjoying myself now. I have a little bit of work, a little bit of this and that. And that's fine with me. You know, you've covered so many major world events, things like the assassination of JFK, the moon landing, the Montreal massacre, 9-11, the royal weddings, and there were so many of them, and key elections around the globe. Right now, what from the past stands out for you? Well, this particular election is not good news for democracies all over the world. We're all sitting, waiting, of course, until these uh, various cases uh, get thrown out, and I assume most of them will, before Biden, before Trump, uh, will finally concede. Now, it doesn't matter whether he concedes or not, because the election, the confirmation, will go ahead. And uh, I just heard today that in connection with these cases, uh, the lieutenant governor of uh, Pennsylvania was saying, well, in fact, I did turn out the case of voter fraud. (laughs) One, uh, there was a woman who came in trying to have her dead mother vote for Donald Trump. So I can put that on the record. (laughs) But uh, there are those um, autocrats around the world who will take comfort in this. Uh, Vladimir Putin will say, you see, our system works better. So will Xi Jinping of China. And I think that's what's unfortunate about all of this, because it is, after all, we the people, uh, the the American Constitution, that comes into play here. And that was written with a great forethought, because after the Independence Declaration in 1776, and then came the Constitution. And there's one underlying theme to all of that, and that is that the Americans didn't want to anoint another king. And Donald Trump seems to have the idea that he can just carry on as a king or a dictator would carry on and nullify the results of this election. Personally, I don't think they've got away with it. 
You know, I think about the democratic rights and freedoms that we all should be enjoying. And we we think about the U.S. election and the outcome, President-elect Joe Biden. Let's hearken back to something that you covered many, many elections here in Canada. But Pierre Elliott Trudeau and Trudeau mania, what was what fueled that? What was that like? Well, I covered Centennial Year in 1967. I was in Montreal at Expo 67. And it was a great show. I mean, the country was really proud of itself. And Quebec especially was proud of itself. And Quebec was ready to come out uh, at that time. Um, Already they had elected uh, a liberal government, which was talking about maître chez nous, masters in our own house. So the fuels of separatism were being poured at that time. And um, I remember that uh, in 1968, uh, when Pierre Trudeau splashed onto the scene, literally, because he was diving into swimming pools all the time, and there were pictures of that, uh, the country seemed ready to take on a new challenge, uh, to become different, to become bilingual and bicultural, which, um, you know, the, the liberals at that time challenged us to be. And uh, I believe that was the driving force behind it, that we had become a proud nation. Quebec, in particular, had become very proud of itself. And um, that, of course, led to the many separatism battles down the road. But in 1968, at the beginning of Pierre Trudeau's regimes, uh, he seemed to symbolize what this newness in Canadian politics was all about. What do you think Pierre Elliott Trudeau would think of the job his son, Justin Trudeau, is doing today, if he were alive? (laughs) I think he'd be a little conflicted, frankly. Because uh, I don't think uh, Justin Trudeau has shown the same kind of backbone that his father has showed on a number of occasions, especially when he stood on the steps of uh, the Parliament buildings in 1970 and said, just watch me in the face of the FLQ crisis raging in Quebec. Um, But uh, on the other hand, I think Justin has learned through time to become a better politician. I mean, you could see that in some of the moves he made um, around the various crises he's had to face, uh, some of the ethical issues, that kind of thing. Um, but I think there's a split there between the mother and her soft, more emotional appeal to people, and the father, who was a disciplinarian, very strict, uh, Jesuit uh, taught, and uh, I think he had a different, um, different view of things than Justin might be. But Justin has both those streams flowing within him, and he's now in a minority government, of course. If he does what his father did, he will um, call another election uh, when he sees it to his advantage and try to win a majority. Exactly what his father did, 1968 mm-hmm. to 72, majority, 72 minority, 74, another big election victory for Pierre Trudeau. Two events this week, uh, this past week, uh, took place that made headlines. First on Monday, November the 9th, uh, News of a vaccine and trials and the efficacy rate of over 90 percent. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It is rearing its ugly head once again and roaring through North America and all through Europe and just about every part of the globe. A couple of days later, on Wednesday, November 11th, Remembrance Day was marked here in Canada and in a very, very different way because of the pandemic. What do you make of these two events? And, and what ties them together is COVID-19. Well, it is really interesting when you think about it, because in 1918, at the end of the First World War, 
When the troops came home from Europe, they brought much of the virus that was sweeping the globe at that time with them to North America. And, of course, uh, we had uh, a, a raging uh, problem with uh, the virus uh, in 1918, 1919, and through to 1920. And it took several of the, um, you know, several of the, some of the same rhythms as now. I mean, uh, the, the troops came home. Uh, the virus had been raging in Europe, yes, uh, and it was already going here, so they didn't really bring it here, but I suppose they could be seen to have contributed to it in some way just by, by coming home from Europe. But um, it, it raged like crazy in 1919, uh, especially in the spring. Then it came back in the fall. It was even worse, just like our fall now, uh, it having been here in the spring. And then it began to tail off in the spring and summer of 1920. So uh, it's, it's surprising to me uh, the, the, the comparison you can make between those two. Um, and it looks now as though uh, this particular virus may be more short-lived than that other one as a result of some of the discoveries that have been announced just this past week in, in um, announcing new vaccines. So uh, we have a hope that uh, we'll be somewhat out of the woods by the middle of next year. We lost a great Canadian a week ago, uh, Alex Trebek, uh, on Sunday, the 8th of November. Loss of a great Canadian. He was admired by so many here in Canada and loved around the world. You knew him well. Yes, uh, I did, Anne. Uh, he and I worked together for several years before he went to the U.S. In Ottawa in the early 60s, uh, he came on the scene there. He had a little bit of uh, broadcast experience, but not very much. He came out of the University of Ottawa, having taken a philosophy course, and he started at the local CBC radio station where I was. And as I left for Toronto, I had no doubt that he would be following me down the road uh, in the not-too-distant future. So I said, we'll see you, kid. And, uh, of course, a little bit later, he came to Toronto. Now, he's about um, six years younger than I am, and, um, and he, uh, at the time, looking young and hip, uh, he was very popular with all the young people who were watching shows like Music Hop. And then he did a run on Reach for the Top, uh, and that began his quiz show career. And he sent that tape to the Merv Griffin Organization in the United States. Uh, this was around about 1972-73. They liked what they saw, and they invited him to go down there. Uh, so he went down there, and he uh, had a few failures first. Uh, as he said, they cancel you like that in a flash if uh, the show's not doing well. So he had two failures, and then in 1984, uh, people decided to revive the Jeopardy format, and they brought it back and made him the host, and of course, the rest is history. <laughs> and I think the reason Alec did so well is because he had great focus. He had great sense of discipline. He was very well organized, and uh, he was true to himself on everything he did. And we used to talk about you know, how you do certain shows, because we did everything in those days. We did quiz shows, we did variety shows, newscasts, sports programs, everything. And he would talk to me about how you learn to do this, and look how this person does that so well. And, and we followed one another through our careers uh, in that respect several times. And whenever we did get a chance to uh, talk to one another, we reminisced a lot about those days. I'll miss them. We all miss him. And, you know, you talk about his tremendous success. What do you attribute your incredible success to? 
Oh, my goodness. Well, I am. <laughs> I think uh, I got a few breaks here and there. Uh, we all do. Uh, in, 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 and, and I was under uh, some very good people, uh, was able to study under some very good people uh, through the years. And I just happened um, at certain instances to be in the right place at the right time. But then you have to step up and do the job. And that's where everything you've learned has to come to the fore. And you've got to be on when that uh, light comes on the camera, as you know so well, and they open that microphone. And um, I learned that very early. And I learned that, you know, you had to be true to yourself. Uh, I may have had some acting ambitions early on, but I had to put all those aside when I went into broadcasting and became um, a person doing the news, especially, because there you have to be the best of what you are. And that's uh, all that I tried to be all the way through. And you believe in truth and honesty, and you believe in fact-checking. Let me ask you about how you feel about, let's say, Twitter or Facebook and its role in how news is delivered today, and whether it should play a part in news delivery today. I think this is a very tumultuous time for media. It all began in the mid-90s with the advent of the all-news channels. CNN started, but CNN at the time was a regular news channel. It was doing just what we did on the regular channels. And then along came Fox, and along came MSNBC, and they took stands. They began to, began to color, especially on their public affairs programs, opinions, brought opinions in the news, uh, coloring the interpretations of the news. And I believe that contributed as much as anything to the deep divisions we see in some of uh, American politics now. Now, you don't find that on the news channels in Canada. CTV here and CBC here have had news channels going for a very long time. Uh, we mark opinion very much as opinion, but we also have a fundamental base of good journalism for both those channels, and that's how we've always operated. And I sincerely hope we'll continue to operate that way because I think our system in that respect is much better than theirs, and I believe that it has driven the kind of tribalism in politics that you're seeing in the United States today. I think many would agree with you. You married your high school sweetheart, Nancy. What has her love meant to you and, and done for you as a man, as a, as a national nightly news anchor, as a human being? What has her love meant to you? I think more than any other single thing, and she has been my rock. Uh, through the years, because uh, we had children very early uh, in Winnipeg in 1957. Our first child was born, a little girl, and uh, then we had three more girls, including a set of twins later on. And she, uh, in those days, ran the family, but she wasn't just a mother. She was also a teacher. She went to the University of Western Ontario, Stratford Teachers College, uh, taught school in Stratford for a while came out west with me, taught out there, started her own nursery school here. So she has been a woman of independent mind and a very strong character. And uh, even though <laughs> she rolls her eyes when I tell her that, because she'll say, oh, you know, you could say something else about me, but you say strong character. But that's what she is. And, and I think that really counts for a lot in any relationship, and most especially in a marriage. And, and that's what Nancy has always been to me. As I say, she's a rock. Hmm. I think she'd appreciate that. I love hearing it. 
Where did your signature sign-off come from? And that's the kind of day it's been. Where did that come from? (laughs) (laughs) It was purely by chance. I had been doing the news on CTV for about uh, 25 years uh, at that time, and I guess I was getting up to 30 years. And I thought, uh, I think I'd like to say something special at the end of the show rather than just, thanks for watching, good night. So I tried a few things, and I tried that one, and that's the kind of day it's been on this whatever date, etc. And all of a sudden it caught on. I hadn't even noticed it had caught on until I decided to change it at the turn of the century in the year 2000. I'd been doing it for a couple of years at that point. And Henry Kowalski, who was our news director at the time, called me two days later and said, Lloyd, put that sign-off back on. I'm getting all kinds (laughs) of memos and phone calls from people saying, I I missed that sign-off. I want to hear him say that. So I put it back on in the year 2000, and it just stayed with me until I left the nightly news in September of 2011. Wow. And that's the kind of interview it's been. I have to thank you. It has been an honor and a privilege to speak with you and to have your presence on our show in conversation. Thank you, Lloyd Robertson. Thank you, Anne. It was wonderful to talk with you and continue good luck to you. And you as well. Thank you. Next, we take you inside Richmond Hill during COVID-19. This is In Conversation with Anne Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region.